Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, As Pastor Jeremy said, my name is Seb. And uh, we're going to be looking, we're going to continue this series uh, in John. Uh, how many of you guys have been enjoying this series that we've been going through all summer in John? Come on. I have, uh, I have loved it. I, um, I was listening to Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Brett's uh, sermons this past week. And I, there's just so much, uh, there's so much that we can get out of this book. And like, I feel like we could probably spend like a whole year on it if we wanted to. Um, it feels like sometimes these sections are like, whoa, this is a lot to try and swallow at once. But I feel like everyone's been doing such a great job uh, breaking it down. And so uh, I have the privilege of continuing First uh, John 4, verses 7 to 21. So let's read that now. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not Love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Come on. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have, been, have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that you are love, God, that you are light, that you are truth, God. I thank you, God, that you are a good God and that you have good plans for us. And I thank you that you've given us your word to reveal yourself to us, God. I thank you, God, that we can learn from your example, that you didn't just give us, uh, you didn't just tell us what to do and not show us, but you showed us first and you made a way for us first, God. And so, Lord, today I pray that you'd open up our, our, our ears, you'd open up our hearts, God, and you'd allow us to learn what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. So uh, as I said, I was listening to Pastor Jeremy's sermon, uh, I was actually listening to it last night, and so I had like a really busy week, and so I was like, I, I was kind of like cramming last night, and so I was listening to Pastor Jeremy's sermon, and I'm not going to lie, as he was saying the verse, I was like, What? he accidentally preached on my verse. 
Like, why is he using my verse when he's preaching his sermon two weeks ago? And then I realized that it wasn't the same verse. It was actually like a chapter earlier. But John is kind of saying the same thing again. He's saying the same thing as he was saying in Pastor Jeremy's sermon two weeks ago. He's saying it again. And, and you got to wonder, like, you know, is Grandpa John just losing it? Like, he forgot that he just told us about the love of God? Like, we're hearing about this thing again, John. Do we really need to talk about love again? Christ, we're Christians. We know about love. Like, that is kind of everything. That's like the be-all and end-all of Christianity. But you're bringing this up again, and you're kind of saying the same thing again? Are you talking in circles? And what you come to see is that John, he's not talking in circles. He's not losing his mind. He's not going crazy. He's emphasizing the most important thing about the Christian walk. He's emphasizing that love is so important, and not just love for God, but love for people around us. When we arrive in these verses, we actually arrive at the climax of 1 John. This is like he's been building, he's been talking about the Antichrist, he's been talking about people who are leading you astray, he's been talking about love, he's been talking about sin, he's been talking about all of these things. And finally we arrive at these verses, and it's like he has arrived. Like it's like, it's like when you're like listening to like, so randomly I was listening to the Halo theme song a whole bunch this last week. I was at a junior high camp, and so... The Halo themes, you know, uh, whatever. Anyone who's like 13 to 50 knows what I'm talking about. Um, so it's like the song starts out like gentle, and then like as it comes in, it's like, doom, 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 and then like the drums come in. That was a terrible tom. Um, and then it like builds, and it's just this like epic build. That's exactly what's happening here. Like, he's been, like, slowly building this thing, slowly building this, and we are at the climax now of what he's wanting to say. And the climax is that God is love, that God is love. And if, that, if we love God, if we have God living in us, then we will show that love to each other. We will show that love to a world that is broken and in need of love. I think that... Uh, one of the problems that we faced as, as a church, like not, not just like our church, but like the big C church, the universal church, uh, probably more in the West, is that love is like kind of like the unspoken thing that we all know about. So it's like, oh, we don't need to talk about love. Like Pastor Jeremy said this morning that uh, I had a challenging sermon last time because it was about antichrist, and this time it's an easy sermon because it was about love. But in some ways, it's actually the opposite because we talk about love so much that like what can you possibly say more about love? I don't get to talk about the Antichrist ever, but I, I talk about love all the time. Every single sermon, we include a little bit about love. And so, you know, how do we talk about love? Like, what more can we get from this? What is the climax of this, of this moment in John? What is he actually telling us to do? What is he actually saying is important? And he's saying that love is important, and he's doubling down on this. And he's doubling down in a big way because he's saying this, like, this is the climax of everything. This just isn't the climax of John. Like, this is the climax of Scripture. If you read Scripture, what is the greatest command? The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the climax. Love is the reason that we are here. Love is the reason that God made a way for us. So John is saying that the proof of your relationship with God, the proof that you are a believer, the proof that you're walking in the way of God is that you will have love for God and you'll have love for others. I'm going to read, I'm going to read Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, 
which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all of the Bible, all of the law, all of the Pentateuch, everything, and all of the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. See, our love for one another represents our love for God. God's family looks like him, right? If you're part of a family, you start to look and act like that family. One of the things that I I, uh, was just telling Haley that I realized yesterday is that one of the things with my family that I didn't know was like a thing is that we like to like check things out. So in other words, like I was... uh, I was staying in this room yesterday at this random camp thing, and like all of my uncles came to our camp room, and they're like, we just wanted to check out your room. And I'm like, that's weird. But then I was on a trip earlier this summer, and we were in Atlanta, and I was like walking around like looking at this stuff, and I was with two friends, and they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just like checking out this stuff that's over here. And I realized like, oh, checking stuff out is like, I guess, a family thing, like I am part of the Murda family, and I guess the Murda family likes to, like, go check random stuff out. I don't know why. But as you're part of a family, you begin to look like that family. You begin to act like the way that that family does. And being part of God's family, he loved us first. And so in response, we start to look like him. We start to act a little bit more like him. And, and I think that you know, we all understand this concept. We all understand, like, yes, God loves us, and we need to love each other. But sometimes I think it ends there. One of the things that we say at Saints is that we follow Jesus one step at a time. That's what we do, right? We follow Jesus one step at a time. But that is not who we are. John is saying, as Christians... How we should look is we should look like people who love one another. Who we are is people who love one another. As we follow Jesus one step at a time, am I allowing him to lead me into greater love for one another? So let's let's go through this, this verse in John. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So throughout John, he's been talking about, like, what what makes a child of God? He says, children and, and dear children, all the way throughout John. And he's saying, child of God, what makes you a child of God? Someone who is known by their love. We know that we are part of God's family when we love one another and we love God. But I think, you know, when we read that verse, it says, for God is love. What the world wants to do, and I think sometimes what we want to do, is we want to flip that sentence. We want to say not that God is love, but we want to say that love is God, right? It's very easy to flip those two things. It's like, oh, what's the difference? Like, love is God, God is love is, is the same thing, right? But that's not, that's not right. Love is God is saying that the God of my life is love. Like love is the most important thing. And we see a world around us that actually believes this, that that love, that acceptance, that doing what I do or looking how I look is the most important thing. And when we say love is God, things start to get a little bit weird. We start creating clubs based around what we love, not around a God who is love. When we say love is God, we start to decide who God is for ourselves. And then anyone who doesn't fit into that box, 
doesn't get our love. So maybe for you, maybe, maybe your thing is nature, right? You love nature. And so then you're like, man, I, I love nature and I experience God through nature. So like nature is God because I love nature and so nature is God. And like if my friends come out and camp with me, then I'll love them because they're in nature with me and nature is the most important thing. And so we're going to go camping every single week, and we're going to make sure that, like, we invite people. But if, if someone wants to go hang out, like, at a coffee shop, not in nature, uh, they're not, like, really part of, like, our crew. Because love is God, and nature is what I love. It starts to get a little bit weird. In fact, what you'll find is that as you go down this road, love becomes something that isn't selfless. It becomes something that is selfish. It becomes something that I love this thing, and if you want to be part of my club, of my crew, of, of what I believe, of the things that I like, you have to like the same things. And if you don't like the same things, no, we're not, part of the, we're not part of the same crew. Love is supposed to be selfless, not selfish. And so God is love. God is love. And, and love is God is absolutely love, but John, is, John actually said earlier in this book that God is light. So which one is he? Is he love or is he light? Well, just like me and you, he has multiple aspects to his personality. He has different things that he, he, he represents. God is also truth, and God is wise, and God is just. But you see, any of these things that God is, and if you flip those things, and you say, justice is God, or you say, mercy is God, or you say any of the individual attributes of God are God, you see those things start to get twisted in the world. We see that all over the place with social justice movements, with, with all sorts of things online. It starts to get twisted. So does that mean we throw love out? No, God is love. God is love. He is the example of what it means to love. Matthew 5, 46 to 47, it talks, about, it talks about this twisting of love that sometimes the world does when they say, you know, you can only be part of my crew if, if you like the things that I like. It says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there? What reward? Wow, this is, this is, wow. What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. The problem that we face, I think, is that we actually don't know what love is. My sermon title today is, What is Love? I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but I didn't know what to make it, so I just said, what is love? Um, but what is love? That was a question that I was pondering all week. Like, it's like, how do you talk about love in a way that, that is new to people? Because we all think that we know what love is. But I think maybe the title should have been, what is godly love? What is Christian love? How does God show his love? Love means sacrificing without any guarantee of reciprocation. As in, we don't accept someone because they accept us. We lay down our lives for those who are far off, even if they may reject our love. 
1 John 4, 9 to 11, we're going to continue. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Not that we were part of his club. Not that we were sinless. Not that we were perfect. Not that any of these things. We were far off from him. We were, we were actually against him. We were his enemies, the Bible says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. One of my favorite verses in scriptures, Philippians 2, 1 to 8, and it's just it's saying the same thing in a different way. It's the apostle Paul writing here, and he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He's talking about each other. He's talking about how do we relate to one another? That Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's like so practical. And then he just like elevates this verse to like the, the highest degree. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That verse is mind-boggling. That a God would, would leave heaven, come to earth, while I still hated him, while I was still far off, while I was still sinning, while he could have nothing to do with me. He lived a perfect life, and he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. So what is love? Well, God is love, and if God is love, then Jesus is love, and what Jesus did here, humbling himself in obedience to God, that is love. Now, if you're a parent in this room, you've probably experienced uh, this thing that happens. So um, sometimes when your kid is acting up, you're like, you, you decide that you want to like take a privilege away. You're like, I need to take something away so that this kid stops misbehaving. And um, and so, you know, you might be, like, really emotional, and you might be, like, not thinking clearly. And sometimes, like, I do this. Sometimes Haley does this. Uh, and so sometimes you'll be, like, on, let's say we're on family vacation or something. And we're, every single day we all go to the pool and we hang out. And then one of our kids starts misbehaving. And you say something like, if you don't stop misbehaving, we're not going to the pool for the rest of the day. And you're like, that was a great punishment. Like, I got them. But then you realize that if they don't stop misbehaving, you're also not going to the pool for the rest of the day. And you're like, why did I choose that consequence? Like, I should have chosen something that doesn't affect me so much. And sometimes I think when we look at Scripture, we think, oh, man, I wonder if, is that how God felt? Like, he was like, oh, the consequence of sin is death. And so, like, you better stop sinning. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and he's like, oh, junk. Now I have to send my only son to earth to die. Uh, I didn't think this through. 
Now, fortunately, God is not as fallible as we are, and he's, he can, like, see the future, and he knows everything that's coming, so nothing's a surprise to him. But that's such a comfort for us, because we know that it wasn't a surprise to him that Adam and Eve were going to sin, and it wasn't a surprise that he was going to have to send his son. He planned from the beginning that his son was going to come, and he was going to take our sin. So when we, when we realize this, when we realize the cost, that it wasn't just, like, an accidental cost, that it was an intentional cost, when we realize that he had the plan the whole way, that Jesus was always planned to be a sacrifice for our sins. Man, that is love. Like, what kind of a father would love in that way? And the love that John talks about here is actually, is called the agape love. And agape means doing what is best for the other person. It means not thinking about ourselves. It means thinking about the other person when we're showing that love. As I said earlier, I think the Western world, we've allowed culture and consumerism to affect how we love, what love looks like, what is love. When I look at myself and when I look at my relationships, and when you look at yourselves and your relationships, I wonder for myself, how many people do I actually love just for the sake of loving them and not because I'm going to get something in return? I don't like thinking about that question because the answer to that question is not good. Parents understand this because you have kids that sometimes act out. That's sacrificial love. You're not, sometimes you just want to say, just like, I'm done. I, I'm off the clock for today. I'm done with you. But you can't do that as parents. And so you have this agape love. You're doing what's best for your kids. But I think in the Western world, we've lost the, rea- the realization that when it says that we are to love like God loves, that's the love he's talking about. When it says that we are known by our love, it means loving the person who doesn't love you. It means loving the person who's not your enemy, but the person who you'd never invite over to your house for dinner. I think too often we love so that we can have love in return. Our love has strings attached. If you love me, then you will do blank for me, right? We've all heard that. If you love me, prove your love by doing this. But agape love doesn't say that. Agape love says, I love you no matter what you do. So I was asking myself this question. What happens when someone who I don't want to love, that I choose to love, rejects my love? What happens? We had some neighbors at our last house that that was the exact situation. We tried to show love. They were not into it. And they rejected our love. So what did we do? Well, we moved houses because it was the easiest thing to do. (laughs) But that's not what we should do, right? What we should do is we should continue having sacrificial love. We double down. We do what Christ did. We do what John's saying. He's saying, hey, I said this a chapter ago that we need to love each other, but I'm saying it again. I'm doubling down. Did you hear what I said before? Did you hear that thing I said in chapter three? Did you hear that thing I said in chapter four? Did you hear that thing where I said that if you are a follower of Christ, if you love the way that Christ loves, that's what proves that you are a follower of Christ? Love isn't for so- something for us to hoard. It's something for us to give away. It's something for us to sacrifice. I don't like this. I don't want to be preaching this. I wish the Bible said just love your friends. 
so much easier. I don't want to sacrifice because sacrifice is hard. The definition of sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued. An act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. Now put that in the Christian context. Giving something up that you value for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. But the thing that we find more important and worthy is what God finds more important or worthy. And so we are saying that we're giving something that we value up for the sake of what God wants us to do. Let's continue reading verses 11 to 17, uh, the first part of 17. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Sometimes... I know I've been in a place where I wonder, like, I'm not, like, the most, I'm not the best at just going up to, like, a random stranger and, like, talking to them about anything, much less talking to them about Jesus. Um, And so sometimes I wonder, like, oh, man, God, like, you haven't gifted me in, like, evangelism. Like, I'm just not good at, like, breaking that ice and networking with people. Like, and there's people that are way worse at that than I am. So, like, how are you going to, like, move your how are you going to move the gospel forward? Like, how are you going to grow your church, God? But what this verse is saying is that the way that we show the world that we are Christ followers is that we love sacrificially. We don't love the way the world loves. We love the way that God loved us first. We try sacrificial love. We show people sacrificial love that when they turn their they turn their backs on us when they walk the other way, when they don't want anything to do with, with us, that we love them sacrificially. And that doesn't mean getting up in their grill and being like, no, you have to love me, or like, I love you so much. Like, we don't have to be weird about it. Sometimes that love might be like praying for them. Or sometimes that love might be like, in my case, at my old house, like turning off my lawnmower at 11.30 p.m. I also probably wouldn't love me if I was my neighbor's. But they did love my lawn, that's true. That's actually probably why they didn't love me, because my lawn was too nice, you know? Um, and we've all been, we've all been in, in situations where there's, like, you meet someone, and you're just like, man, like, I just love, like, this person is so legit. Like, I can't help but love this person, right? There's, there's some people who have that natural, like, that knack that you just start talking to them, and, like, you don't want to like them. You literally are like, I'm kind of jealous. I've seen that person from far away, and I'm kind of jealous of them. I don't really want to like them. And you start talking to them, and you're like, dang it. I love them. Like, this is the worst. I didn't want to. But I think that's actually what all of us are supposed to be like. Not all of us are going to have charisma. Not all of us are going to be able to talk to, you know, people and, and, and make funny jokes and whatever it might be. But we can love them. 
We can do simple things like, like bringing baking to your office or like going to your next-door neighbor's house and, I don't know, offering to take care of their kids or something. I don't know. That might be weird. My grandma is kind of one of those people that, uh, that is just, she just attracts people because she is so loving. She, she just comes off as just like, just being nice and loving and kind. And as she's aged, she had her 90th birthday, we celebrated it yesterday, and as she aged, she hasn't let her love grow cold. That's what John has said in this book. Don't let your love grow cold. Like he's saying in verse three, like love love one another. And then in verse four, he's saying, continue to love one another, like, like as if they've already forgotten. And my grandma's 90 years old, and she hasn't forgotten that. She hasn't allowed her love to grow cold. She's continued to grow in her love for others. But the only way that you can do that is something that we've talked about over the last few weeks, and that's abiding in Christ. Because, you know, my own love, my love tanks are going to get empty really quick. Like, my ability to go hang out with people and to, to, I mean, I can hang out with people all the time. But some people, they can't hang out with people all the time. Their, their tanks are going to get empty, and they're not going to be able to do it. And so how do you love when you don't have the desire to love? You don't have what you feel like is the ability to love? We can only love others by allowing the love that is in us to be perfected by God if we are abiding in Christ. One of my favorite um, commentaries says, he reveals himself through the lives of his children. Men cannot see God, but they can see us. If we abide in Christ, we will love one another, and our love for one another will reveal God's love to a needy world. God's love will be experienced in us, and then will be expressed through us. God's love will be experienced in us and then will be expressed through us. This is so backwards from the way the world tells us to live. To be honest, it's, it's backwards from how our nature tells us to live, right? Our nature tells us, like, only love, only take care of people who can take care of you later. Because you need to survive, and surviving means people taking care of you, you taking care of people that can take care of you. Not people who can't take care of you. But the Bible says... Take care of those who are needy. Take care of those who don't have anyone who loves them. Take care of the people who are weird and take care of the people who are wonderful. Take care of everyone in between because I came and I died for everyone. God says, abide in me and allow my love for you and for others to be shown. Allow my love to mark you as my children. So then John kind of takes a turn here, verses 17 to 19. He says, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. So John is, is he's kind of harking back to his earlier message about confidence in Christ, that when we, 
you know, when we die, we have confidence that we're going to stand at God's judgment seat and we're not going to have anything that we have to answer to because Christ's blood covers us and we know that we're covered by Christ's blood because God came and he loves us and he showed his love to us and because he showed his love to us, we love other people and because we love other people, we're saying we are Christ followers and as Christ followers, I am known because of my love and so on earth, we are known as Christ followers and in heaven, we're going to be known as Christ followers. When we're standing at the throne of God, and we're looking at our lives. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. His love has been made perfect in us through Jesus. Love and fear cannot coexist. When there is love, there's no fear. And when there's fear, there's no love. And I'm not talking about like the fear of the Lord, like the respect and the awe of God. And, and like, I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about the fear that, the fear of punishment, as John says here. If we're just walking in the law, this is Pastor Jeremy said this a few weeks ago, if we're just walking in the law, if we're just doing the right things, we're not sinning, we're following the law, we're, doing, we're just trying to check off the list of do's and don'ts, but we're not doing it out of love, we've missed the whole point. Our motive needs to be love, love of God and love of others. And we can have a confidence living in God's love that there's nothing to be afraid of as we live and abide in his love he develops that love in us in a deeper way. We have nothing to worry about on the day of judgment if we abide in Christ because there's nothing we have to worry about because, we've all, we could, because we already live with Christ here on earth. We are already marked as his sons and his daughters here on earth and we show that by the love that we show one another. If I could get, uh, maybe just keys up, Rebecca, that'd be great. 1 John 4, 20 to 21 this is wrapping up this section of verse. And he says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if you don't love people we can see, how can we love God, whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believer. Now, I think we can read through a verse like this and we can say, oh, no, I don't hate any of my other believers. Like I said, you know, if you're like me, you don't, like, have any, like, enemies. And you don't, like, hate anyone. So, like, maybe those are, like, the wrong terms. But, like, like Pastor Jeremy preached about, like, when John is saying it's just as bad as murder to not love someone, when, when John is saying here, don't hate your fellow believers, he's not saying that you have to, like, actually hate them. What he's actually saying is like, who is that person that you would never invite over to your house? Who is that couple that you're like, I never want to hang out with them again? That's who John's talking about here. He's saying, if you can't even love your fellow believer, if you can't even love the person sitting across the, the pew from you or across the room from you, if you can't even love that person, how can you say that you love God? Because if we say that we love God and we hate someone else, what we're actually showing is that we believe in the love that the world says. We believe in a love that's selfish, a love that's like, this love is for me. Yeah, God loves me, but it's just for me to hoard and it's for me to feel secure so I can stand at, you know, at, in heaven and feel like I'm okay. No, he's saying, have this agape love for one another, church. Have this agape love where you say, I love you and I'm going to go out of my way. I'm gonna make sacrifices to show that love to you. It's not comfortable. 
about seven years ago, I preached a sermon. And to be honest with you, I can't remember any sermons that like, like Pastor Jeremy has been preaching to me for like 20 years, like actually. And I don't like remember any of his sermons other than the one that happened two weeks ago. But then I was thinking about it and I left, and I let myself off the hook a little bit because like I don't remember my own sermons. So like we're good. But the one, one of the things that I do remember from this sermon that I preached seven years ago, and I feel like applies to today, is that we need to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. We need to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable until people feel comfortable and then repeat. We need to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable until people feel comfortable and then repeat. If we are a church that is marked by love, if we are a church that is marked by what God says is supposed to mark a church, if we are a church uh, of, of believers who follow Christ, who are marked by his love, we're gonna have to get a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't wanna get uncomfortable. One of my pastor friends, uh, I was at a camp last week and he really challenged me because one of the things that he kept on saying at this camp was that camp is a spiritual boot camp. It's a spiritual boot camp. In other words, what you're learning here, this is practice for the real world. And it challenged me because I realized that's what church is too. Church, yeah, we're here to like get filled up. We're here to worship God and to meet with one another, but it's a boot camp. We are here to learn these things and to put them into practice. If we can't practice these things with each other, it's not gonna go outside of these four walls. It's not gonna go into your workplace. It's not gonna go into your family. It's not gonna go into the next door neighbor that you don't like or that doesn't like you. It's not gonna go past Sunday morning. For years, we've talked about a four Monday. But I wonder if we need to figure out four Sunday. I wonder if we need to figure out loving one another in a deeper way, showing sacrificial love to one another. I was playing pickleball yesterday and someone said, uh, they started playing and they were playing with like the best players and they're like, I don't wanna play with, like it was their first time playing, they were like, I don't wanna play with the best players. Like I'm just gonna get absolutely destroyed. And I was thinking about this and I mean, they were right, uh, although they did beat me, so. But the reality is, is that the way that you can improve the most at a sport, the way that you can improve the most in most areas in life is surround yourself with people that are really good at something. When you surround yourself with people who are experts in an area, you start to become an expert. You start to pick up the things that, you know, every Joe Blow wouldn't necessarily see. You start to pick up tips and tricks that maybe took them years to figure out. There was a video the other day uh, of Connor McDavid randomly showing up to somebody's like men's league hockey game. So it's just like a random men's league hockey game and Connor McDavid shows up. And I'm just like imagining what I would say if I was playing hockey and Connor McDavid, like if you're the goalie, you're just, you're just weeping. You're just like, I'm done. My career is over. It never started, but it's over again. And that might be your perspective, but Someone who wants to grow, their perspective would be, man, this is amazing. I get to watch this guy close up. I get to see this guy close up and learn the tips and tricks that he has. I get to learn the little nuances of his movement and, and the things that maybe I can't see when I'm just watching him on TV. That's what church is supposed to be like. 
Church is supposed to be like us learning from one another, us learning to love from one another. We look at scripture and none of us here are perfect in our love for one another, none of us are. But some of us are tens in certain areas. Some of us are ones in those same areas. And we can look at one another and say, man, I need to be better at that. But not just say, I need to be better at that. Work on being better at that. Do something about it. Church is practice. And one of the amazing things about practice is like, when you're at practice, you're all on the same team. So it's like you can mess up and you can fail, but we're at practice, so it's okay. We can grow together because there's a grace there and there's a love there. If we love God, verse 21, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Let's practice together. Let's learn together. Let's, let's be loving. Let's be kind. Church is supposed to be the example of Christ's love on earth. It's not just supposed to be a select few. It's not just supposed to be the people who like board games, hang out with the board games people, and the people who like pickleball, play with the pickleball people, and the people who like gardening, hang out with those people, and the seniors hang out with the seniors, and the youth hang out with the youth, and the kids hang out with the kids, and so on. No, church is supposed to be a way that, a place that the old and the young, that every culture, race, gender, everyone comes together and we show our love to each other the way that Christ loved us, that we show that it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, that we are doing this together, that we're walking together. Man, I wanna be a church that looks like that. I wanna be a church that people walk in, they're like, man, the love wasn't weird, but it was, it was legit, like it was tangible. You could feel the love, like can you feel the love tonight? I could feel the love tonight. It's not complicated. This isn't a complicated thing. Love is, like I said, it's not complicated. How do you talk about something that we've heard a million times? It's not complicated, but it's hard. It's hard because it takes sacrifice. It takes counting the cost. It takes picking up your cross daily and following after Christ. A few years ago, we did um, Easter at the Heritage Pavilion. And our church was significantly smaller than it is now. And my volunteer team was significantly smaller than it is now. And uh, we were trying to pull off something that was way, we were trying to punch way above our, our weight class. And I didn't know how I was gonna pull some of this stuff off. And so someone told me that there was this guy who I could call and who might come and help. So I called this guy up and he didn't come to our church. He wasn't from our church, he was from another church. And he answers the phone and he says, I will be there in an hour. What kind of coffee can I pick you up on the way there? And I'm gonna bring a friend with, with me. He showed up, he unloaded the whole truck, set up every, all of the lights by himself, well, with the other guy, and ran the lights for the show, cleaned up. He was the last person there. He doesn't even come to our church. He wasn't even from our church. Last one there loading up the truck. And he brought me a coffee to boot. And I think about that story all the time. Because that expression of love, that was sacrificial love. I didn't pay him back for the coffee. I didn't pay him back for the time. I didn't, there's no amount of thanks that could have paid him back. He didn't do it to be paid back. He did it because I needed help. I didn't even, I literally had never met the guy before he came. That kind of love is the love that 
I want to be marked with, that I want our church to be marked with. That is the kind of love that people remember. Man, imagine I wasn't a believer and I had experienced that. That is sacrificial love. So my challenge today, and I actually wanna want us just to close our eyes and reflect on this for the next two minutes, is who are you gonna show love to this week? Who are you going to maybe invite to your house this week? Who are you going to bake some cookies for this week? Or who are you going to offer to take care of their kids this week? Who are you going to sacrifice for this week? And, and if it's a sacrifice, it, means it needs to be something that you're not gonna get a reciprocation out of. Who are you gonna do that for? So I literally just want us to, to close our eyes and bow our heads. And I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight someone in our lives, to show us who he wants us to reach out to, who he wants us to show this sacrificial love to. Because we will only get better if we start practicing this, if we start doing this, if we take it one step at a time. So let's just ask the Holy Spirit. He knows the right person. He knows exactly who needs that love right now. And he wants to empower you with that love to reach that person. thank you that you are here. God, we thank you that you hear the prayers of your people. God, we thank you that you love the world so much that you sang your only son who humbled himself as a sacrifice in obedience to you to die on the cross for my sins while I was still far off. And God, you sent Jesus not just to die for my sins, but to die for the sins of all of the people in this world who still don't know you. God, we thank you that you choose to use us, that you choose to make your love apparent and perfect in us. God, we thank you that though the world can't see you, they can see us and we represent you. God, I pray this week that you would help us take those steps Make those uncomfortable moments to reach a lost and dying world. To bring relationship amongst the believers. To bring unity. To bring closure. To bring forgiveness. God, we thank you that we can abide in you, that this is hard, but your grace is sufficient. So God, we pray for an extra, an extra bit of your grace this week when it's uncomfortable and we don't want to. 
that your grace is sufficient for us and that we would take those steps, that we would follow you one step at a time. And that as we follow you one step at a time, it would lead us into love of others and love of you more. God, I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.